let me just start uh, you know fr from the perspective of your career when you look back right and and uh, you see how far you've come in the early years did you think you would one day be here where you are today well you know so it's a really interesting question um, the answer is um, i really didn't have a concept of you know a cfo when i was first starting my career just to be you know perfectly uh, clear for you guys uh, I think some people, I was always, like I grew up in a really small town, I always joke that uh, they wanted to be about 2,500 people and they never quite got there. I think they may have finally got there, uh, but it was a rural uh, area in Michigan and it was a great place to grow up, fantastic place to grow up. But, you know, all the commercial opportunities weren't apparent to me, uh, but I did know I wanted an education and I was, um, you know, really, really focused on getting an education and that was, you know, we talk about transformation, I'm a big fan that education is the biggest transformation that you can have for any person. And so we're really, really super committed. And it's something that um, I deeply, deeply try to pursue uh, even you know, deeper in my career today. I always have educational goals every single year. I send them between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, and now they're a little bit different. Uh, but the answer is no, I didn't quite uh, have that concept. Uh, and uh, I didn't uh, major uh, in finance when I first uh, did my undergraduate at Michigan State. I was in operations management uh, and business, and you know that was an awesome start. And I, you know, and I ended up uh, joining this company uh, that was small at the time called Hewlett Packard, and I turned down the biggest, most powerful company in the world uh, in 1981, General Motors, at the time. Uh, and I took a job offer. Imagine this with negative money. Uh, I took a job offer for 10% less pay uh, to move away from my home state where all my family was and where the road's literally named after us because uh, I had a different journey. And my journey, I thought it was going to be important to get into technology. And so uh, I met the people at HP and I had studied a bit about it. And I thought it was a great opportunity and it turned out to be just a phenomenal opportunity. Uh, and it was in that period when we were agreeing for me to come, uh, I was able to agree with them that I would be able to go to graduate school at night if I did a good job during the day and they would pay. And they said yes. So very unconventionally to a lot of folks, um, I was uh, 22, I guess, and I started going to uh, graduate school right away. A lot of people would say, wait, you know, stop and go full time. I took a different view. Uh, I took the view that was available to me uh, to, to, to get done. And, uh, you know, that's a big you know, thing that I would say is that I think I'm sitting here today really out of, you know, largely standing on the shoulders of my family and my educators and, you know, the people that, you know, really helped me. Um, but also when you see a window of opportunity, you like you go through it, you know, and I think that's really important for a CFO to, uh, to think about. And so my, my, my getting here was, was quite unconventional. Uh, the, you know, the four years at Michigan State, I worked night for four years and went to school during the daytime on an academic scholarship. And then when I worked at HP, for the next four years, I went to graduate school at night and worked during the day. But that education just was like, open the door that opened the door. And uh, just became uh, like a working lab at HP. And then I went in, they said, why don't you come into finance? Because you're getting a major and a master's in finance. And it was like, boom, this is what I want to do. And was so was that fun. the turning point? As you look at that yeah. arc at your time at HP and later, yeah. at what point did it feel like, oh, I can actually have the top job? And were there 
transformational opportunities or roles yeah. that made that possible? I think it was a progression. You know, I think it was like I was, you know, maybe it's kind of from where I hail from, but trying to keep my feet on the ground and really focus on um, contribution, focus on learning and fo focus on impact and focus on, you know, serving uh, the, the organization, the people, the team, and that type of thing. And then gradually that really started to create some momentum uh, that uh, you know, opened the door and, and, and got some notice from people that gave me you know, you know, big opportunities. And so, uh, and, I, and I think that's true you know, in any stage of your career that like, the way people roll really impacts like, where you're going to land long term. Like, like how do you work and conduct yourself in a way that people want to help you that you don't even know? I mean, that's the reality of what happens is people that you don't even know are like lifting you up and helping you in different ways. You know, the deeper in your career, how do you, now you're thinking about being a CFO, how do you get on a board? How do you, it, you know, it's, it's, it's back to a lot of really basics, but I think it's, I talk a lot, about, and Paul has certainly heard this, but you know, it's like, I always say, it's not how people feel the day you get somewhere, CFO or whatever, it's how they feel the day you leave. And that's what builds your career. And that's what you know, your reputation, especially in the field of finance, is just is priceless. And 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 so I think people need to really think about that. So it was you know it was a circuitous route, uh, but as I kept making progress, um, actually I, I think the first time I ever really thought I could be a CFO, I was I was going down the uh, actually uh, the M4. I was just talking to somebody from England uh, over here, and I was with my uh, uh, boss uh, while I was working at Hewlett Packard, living in England, and he said. Don't sweat it. You know, you're, you're going to be a CFO. That's not the question. Let's just get you ready. Let's make sure you're prepared because and let's bring out every bit of experience you can possibly get because when that happens, you're going to draw on everything you've ever had. You know, uh, and my, my mentoring to people who become a CFO is, you know, and I keep con you know, contact with a lot of folks who have worked uh, for me who are a CFO now. It's not about getting there. It's about excelling there. And that's the thing I think, you know, you really want to get the experiences and life experiences so that when you sit down with a CEO and the leadership team and you go through crazy stuff, you know, like, you know, economic challenges, you know, robust growth, you know, technology disruptions or whatever, you have enough experience and enough uh, gravitas to actually have an opinion to help have an impact with a leadership team to the, to the degree that your role should allow. It's not like, you know, you know it's a team that's driving things. But the more experiences and the more, uh, you know, successes and, and things that you can you can learn from, the more you're going to be able to be, you know, really help you later in your career. I guess I would say. So I'm not a f huge fan of, um, like, I maybe a huge fans maybe not the right word. I never felt like this urgency that I have to get by X, by Y, by you know Z or A, B, C, you know, by a certain date. It was more like I wanted to have the experience, I wanted to have the impact, I wanted to have the learning that would build a, you know, something with staying power. And that was just my own mental model. And, and, I, and I respect that there's a lot of other people who've done a lot better with different mental models, but that's my mental model. Got it. And you talk about how your, your manager yeah. told you, hey, you're, you're going to get there. Don't worry about it. Focus yeah. on, on uh, the experience, right? But, uh, you know, as you think about people who get to maybe a VP level, sure. and it's a pyramid, right? It gets yeah. narrow as you go yeah. to the top. What do you think... Uh, is the difference between the people who make it to that CFO position uh, versus maybe the ones who don't, as you think is, uh, in your own career, as sure. you moved up, I'm sure somebody sure. else didn't get that role, but you did, sure. right? And no, so I, what yeah. do you think makes that difference at, at that last mile? 
Well, I, I think you know one of the things that makes that difference is that you know at the end of the day, are you are you learning and are you are you really pushing yourself on on the learning frontier? And I, I really you know I talk to a lot of people. I, this concept I kind of coined student master student. You know, like whenever you took a course or you've had a job where you're just killing it, you, you you've known it. You're the master of the universe in that role or that topic or whatever. It's really hard. To then go ahead and push yourself to be a student again. And yet to be a CFO and to be prepared for being a CFO, you've got to be on that curve of constantly being a student, try to master it and become a student again as fast as you possibly can. Because again, you know, one of the, I, I think a CFO job is one of the greatest jobs on the planet. You see the interconnectivity of everything. And people expect you to know like darn near everything. And so, you know, you have to have a curious mind and just be, you know, have an insatiable appetite to keep learning. And by the way, have some endurance that, you know, there will be setbacks. And that's not the point. The point is, how do you respond to those setbacks? How do you dust yourself off? How do you get up and learn, own it, and go? And I think that really takes you to another level as well. Uh, but, I, but I think it's a track record of results. I think it's an insatiable appetite to learn. Um, I think it's, you know, what, what I can tell you when I talk to CEOs all the time, they're looking for people who can develop people. You know, leaders lift people up. So, like, if you want to have a reputation to work with people and attract the right talent, you know, a, a person has to be a leader of a division. You have to know how to lead and inspire and communicate and work through all those, those issues. And so I think it's, it's developing the attributes of your leadership, the attributes of your deep subject matter expertise, and keep pushing yourself on the curve. Uh, and then, you know, I use the term bankable, you know, like, you know, what is your, um, say do ratio? You know, I'm going to do this. Do you do that big and small and, and, and having a track record of results? Um, I heard a, uh, super, uh, well-known, uh, CEO that, you know, I just won't quote him just because, you know, it wasn't an environment to quote him. But he said, there's three things that he, you know, that people look for, you know, they look for somebody who has a track record. They look for somebody with their values and they look at somebody, and this is really important for tonight, they look at somebody with a network. Because who do you call when you're at the top of your organization and you don't know the answer? Like, like you ever think about that? Like, you're that person. And so I can think of so many scenarios where, you know, you bring the whole acumen of your trusted, you know, network of people. Uh, it's so, so important. And like during the, the great financial crisis, you can't imagine the number of people were calling back and forth and comparing notes and stuff because you had to. I mean, the whole world was just, you know, kind of shaking, you know, financially. And that made a huge, huge difference. But the ability to call, to have perspective, uh, to be able to, uh, let alone the friendships and the fun side of that, I think that is, is super, super critical uh, to have things like that to lift you up. And, but I think it's track record, values, and, and the way you lead. Got it. And, and staying on the topic of career and career paths. Uh, an interesting question that I got, I think somebody might actually be in this position in the audience is, uh, you know, suppose you have an opportunity to go get that CFO title, be, uh, you know, uh, the ultimate person at the, at the top of the pyramid at a much smaller, earlier stage company. Sure. Or you have the opportunity to go work for one and learn, and, but you're not going to get that for a few more years. How do you think about that? I think you did more of the latter. Was it you? Yeah. You, you, know, you yeah. went through these. You didn't go to an earlier stage company, but did you yeah. get those opportunities? And did you say no? 
uh, you know, along the sure. course of your career and how did you approach that? Sure. I mean, I think there's a thousand different answers for a thousand different people. I think it's your risk appetite, it's your situation, it's the facts and circumstances in front of you. But, you know, for me, you know, the, the equation that I took was, you know, I, you know, in the same way that I went to, to technology versus automotive, um, I felt that the industry was really important to me, uh, super important. That was my judgment and I owned it and, you know, I, I was fortunate, I was lucky, whatever the case might be. The second lens that I've always used is it's, you know, I always talk about the things you learn that you want to share. You know, my mother, you know, helped me just immensely. I was one of five kids, five boys, and she, she said, you know, it's, it's all about the people you surround yourself by. And that was true when I was growing up, and like I'd bring some friends home, and good, 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 not so good, and she was like, right every time. I kind of said, like, how did you figure that out? Uh, you know, a little bit of a side note, but I really, really mean that. And so for me, the lens of sorting out where I want to be is around the people that I'm around. And I've made a career out of being around special people at special times. I, I can't even believe that I can you know, be so fortunate as to have actually interacted with Hewlett and Packard uh, early in my career, uh, presented to them, dealt with them, uh, to you know, work with Michael Dell for years, and I'm still on Michael's uh, board at uh, SecureWorks. Uh, and then to work with Mark Benioff and Keith Block is like, I have been extremely fortunate. That's just to name a few really amazing people. Uh, and so I don't take that for granted, but I think being at special places at special times, wherever that is, and whatever your calculus is on that, I think is really important because one of my mentors said, like, always be on the relevant field of play. Make sure you're at a place that you feel like it matters if you do well, that, that, that you have upside, that you can... Take something that's additive uh, with you because, you know, what people want to see in a career that they don't tell earlier on is like they immediately, you know, like, what school did you go to? Like, how many times did you hear that in your, in your dialogue? Great. But they also want you to work in an experience where you've seen habits of success. You have seen people be successful so that you can emulate that success and hopefully take that learning as you add that to your own personal narrative. And people don't talk about that a lot. But that is what people think about a lot of times when they want to hire you. I did the calculus to say, if I'm around special places and special people, that that's like, you know, you know, just a very special experience that's going to be, you know, allowing me to serve the people I serve even better. That was my calculus. But I, I trust there's a lot of smart people here. Uh, so I don't pretend to have the great ideas market corner. But I do think being intentional and being thoughtful about what you're doing uh, it, you know, really, really matters because there'll be a lot of people that will sell you, you know, a lot of potential opportunities. And I just think it's important to, to be just very, very discerning, uh, because it's your, it's your future and your family. And, you know, you know, to me, I just think it's, you know, it's, it's important to, I, I'm amazed at how much time people spend on all kinds of things, but they don't even spend like an hour to a year thinking about their career and how they want to map it out. And my father-in-law one day, you know, I met my wife when we were 20. We got married when we were 22, so don't ask me what I was thinking. It's all been good, uh, awesome, happy to say. But uh, he pulled me to the side of my father-in-law and he said, like, unless you're independently wealthy, like, your economic well-being is going to be a function of how you do in your job. So spend some time and think about like what you want to do, how you want to do it, and who you want to be around, uh, and 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 you know, and that's where I got this idea uh, that I've I've shared all over the world, and it's my you know kind of 
uh, segue around careers, which is I would encourage each one of you to think of yourself like, like a small company or a big company. However, you are the CEO of your company. You incorporated is the, is the narrative that I share. And just go with me on this construct. And the first thing I would say with um, the CEO, I hope you have a board of advisors. I do. And I hope you pick them carefully. I do. I evolve it uh, over time. Just a construct, something to think about. People that are the trusted, most, you know, can tell you, you know, speak truth to power, that really tell you what you need to hear. Um, I think any good CEO would do that. Second thing is if you have a company, you need to ship a lot, a lot, lot. And whether it's you know, services, products, whatever it is, when you stop shipping, you know what happens, right? This is a financial crowd. It's not good, right? So ship a lot, translation, metaphor, work hard, really have good output for what you're doing. Pay attention to the detail because it impacts your quality. And you want great quality, right? Who wants to buy something that's not great quality? This is your company. And then I, then I get into a, you know, kind of a real you know, more uh, pointed part of this, which is, how many of you are doing research and development in your company every single year? If you're not and you're investing in a company that's not doing R&D every single year, I want you to stay after. I want to talk to you because that's not necessarily a great investment. But are you doing that for your company? Because I am for my company and I'm deep into my career and I'm still doing that. You got to market a little bit, but you can't market too much, right? You're all finance people because it's expensive, but you got right, but you got to do some. Uh, hopefully you build your customer relations and your network, and I think you can see where I'm going on this. But one of the biggest things besides the R&D side of this and the, and the ship a lot part of it for me is you want your brand to be good. Your reputation of your company is critical to the value and endurance of your company. So pay attention to your reputation and your brand and your quality and the decisions and the values that you're exercising with your company because it just... All the customers, you know, experience it. All the people interacting with you experience that. But I, you know, I come down to this thing about short-term income and long-term market cap. One of the biggest, uh, well, the two biggest, uh, probably three biggest leaps in my career I did when the economics weren't apparently immediately there to me. When I went to England, uh, they basically said, if you can get this business, which was a fledgling business, up to $250 million from very small, uh, that, you know, we're, you know my, my boss joked and said, we're going to get you a green Jaguar. I was going to England. So, of course, a green Jaguar. I'm thinking, like, I was like 32 years old or whatever. I'm going, whoa, this could be cool. So um, I took a definite lateral when I was due for a promotion and went there because I thought at 32 I needed to be overseas. And so, you know, short-term income, long-term market cap. Well, when I came back, to make a long story short, I thought I was making a huge sacrifice. I got an experience that would help me the rest of my career, would be a ticket to, you know, criteria for getting on boards and everything. And I made an investment in the short term, giving up short-term income to do the long-term market uh, cap for Mark Incorporated. And it was hugely valuable. And to boot, when I got back to the United States, I got a little box on my desk, and guess what it was? A green Jaguar. <laughs> wasn't the one I imagined, okay? The good news is there was a bunch of stock options in there that were better. So uh, uh, that's a true story, and I have that green Jag in my study to this day. Uh, but I think, you know, can, you know, can we delay gratification to do things with being more intentional around that? And then at the end of the day, you're, you know, all people, it'll be, you know, 
pursuing you know you know financial careers and CFO careers and that type of thing, like don't run out of cash, and pay attention to your credit, right? I mean, like these are like really really basic questions, but I have guided myself in a way when I started to think about these decisions, you know, around what am I doing that's helping me serve people better, and that will really matter over the long play, and and I, I really think that's a construct. It, for you as a, you know, as a, a budding CFO or whatever, uh, just think about that. But really, really, really think about your brand, your reputation, uh, and uh, especially the research and development you're doing because, uh, you know, it's the world's changing way, way, way too fast uh, for you to be on it uh, if you're not, you know, deeply leaning forward. Uh, which brings me to, you know, the other point that um, I think, you know, I told you I had a great opportunity to work with special people at special times, no more special than today. Um, but I, I look for patterns, and I'm, I've always been good at finding patterns ever since I can remember as a kid. And one pattern I will tell you with extraordinary people, extraordinary people that have changed industries and the world, is they're always forward-leaning. Like you ever meet somebody that experienced a degree of a degree of success and like they're just wearing it like every day, every way. Uh, the pattern that I see of amazing people is they're actually quite humble about it, and they're like, "What am I doing tomorrow? How do I take this to a higher level?" Forward leaning, you know, success is never final. Let's go, and that is a huge, uh, I think, positive habit for people who want to aspire and 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 you know. You know, keep growing in their career. It's a little bit of a long thing. No, maybe that's, that construct, that's maybe that's helpful, okay. I hope, you know, in, in, in some form or fashion. That was great. Now, if I go back to the backgrounds of the people who tend sure. to get opportunities sure. to be CFOs, especially in the technology industry, if you look at, uh, you know, a sampling uh, of them, you will see that uh, many of them come more from an audit accounting background. Others have more of an analytics, investment banking uh, kind of background. You, know, you could take different paths to finance leadership roles and, and ultimately rise to the top, right? Mm -hmm. And so, does that even matter how you start and, and what the early part of your career is? Is it totally dependent on the type of company you end up being the finance leader of? What has your career taught you about? You didn't even study finance, like you said, but then you did during your MBA. I got my so, master's in, in finance. Yeah, so, what, what is that background of where you start on the ladder of a finance organization and where you ultimately end up? Any, you know, yeah, sure. No, about I, that? I think I think the the ebb and flow of like what's the ideal background is up for debate. Um, what I think the ideal background is is somebody who's super smart, uh, ready to work hard, ready to just you know take great care of their team and help lift their team up and 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 and, and impact the you know the company better. And they are an insatiable learner because at the end of the day, um, what I've always tried to do. Is is try to learn from all the people that work for me. Um, learn from all the people I work for. Uh, learn from all the people that I serve to be you know better, better, never done, and constantly and, and learning. And so, you know, what is Malcolm uh, Gladwell's ten thousand hours or whatever? You know, like if you want to go learn, uh, I think you have the opportunity to just be amazingly deep. Um, I am a big fan of being deep uh, and a big fan like, you know, I just give you an example. Some people when they come to tax, they just go, whoa, this is tax. I'm going in. I'm going to go learn. 
I'm going to start here and I'm going to keep working it. I, you know, keep working and working and working until I can really speak and be, uh, you know, informed, not at the level that my uh, head of taxes, which is an amazing person, but I just think for, you know, this is, this is just my lens and you might get different lenses from people. It's more the commitment to learn and the ability to synthesize and make good decisions. I mean, at the end of the day, to me, you're, if you're committed, you're going to learn that technical stuff for sure. And, and first of all, you have to have the appetite and the, the, you know, the knowledge and desire to do that. But the question is going to be around how do you synthesize and make judgment calls, uh, in my opinion, and, and how do you begin to you know, look around corners further? How do you begin to learn to you know, find patterns that really matter? How do you begin to see opportunities that people don't see? Because you live it, you feel it, you smell it, you, and you've, you've experienced it. You know? And then you, you say, hey, this, is, you know, this, this burner's hot. Don't put your hand on that burner, you know? <laughs> or whatever, whatever the right metaphor is. So um, I, the, the CEOs that I work with, um, have worked with, and the people that I look at, I see them being much less prescriptive that I want uh, the head of FP&A, the treasurer, the controller, uh, the divisional CFO, or anything like that. I hear them say, can this person develop people? Can this person lead? Can this person tell the story? Can this person, you know, is this person bankable? Can they do what they say they're going to do? Can they make their contribution? Can they earn the trust and respect of their colleagues and, and help work together to go get things done, you know, together? So I, you know, the, the funny part of you guys is that, you know, maybe you found this sometime in your career. I had people tell me before, like when I was early in my career, uh, you know, back to this, like, what's the right profile? I'm not sure you have the right profile to be a CFO. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but little did I know, I was like 25. And like, if you, if I were to believe that person and you let go of your, you know, like kind of your hopes and dreams, you know, those are your hopes and dreams. That's you incorporated. That's your, the CEO. You got to be grounded, but you know, make sure you know who's telling you what they're telling you and make sure they're credible and make sure that you're learning and testing things and, and not giving up on your hopes and dreams easily. And uh, I'm sure glad I didn't. Amazing. So, yeah. yeah, changing direction a little bit. If you look at the sheer number of uh, CFOs and among them, I think the data says it's something like 11 or 12% of them are women. And there's also data that says that women aren't promoted at the same level. And there's a you know, uh, paid disparity uh, and, and all that is kind of widely reported, right? And so. What has your experience been in that area and, and how, would you, uh, as you think about your team at Salesforce and how you are thinking about addressing that, uh, sure. how do you uh, approach that? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a really sensitive topic and I'm glad Kim's here and she can you know, feel free to talk to her after as well. But at Salesforce, you know, we, we are a values-driven company. And you know, we started in an apartment a little more than 20 years ago at Coit Tower. Uh, we're now the fourth biggest enterprise software company in the world. Uh, and the fastest growing top five enterprise software company in the world. And um, we're values driven. And you know, we, you know, trust is our number one value. And I think like for back to you incorporated for your own CEO job, trust is my number one value. It is the most you know, sacred important thing in all the interactions that, that we have. Uh, but you know, innovation, uh, customer success and equality. And you touched on that about how to, you know, to deal with that and how people work together. So one of the things I'm super proud of is that besides our company, you know, being values driven, 
and doing things like we created the 111 model where we gave 1% of the market cap of our company away at inception, uh, 1% of our time, which is now almost 50,000 people every year, we log to give away to uh, philanthropic purposes at people's uh, own choice, but we all do it. And then 1% of our revenue through supporting 42,000 NGOs. That's the kind of company that we are. That's who we have been. And that's not like, that's just who we are. But I think when you get into the other part of it, you touch on, which is equality, uh, we took some really uh, you know, outspoken stands about uh, gender equality. Uh, and uh, we, uh, you know, we had some of our team approach uh, Mark Benioff, uh, one of our uh, founder and one of our co-CEOs, and say that they didn't think that women were being equally paid. And Mark was in total disbelief and said, well, we're going to run an audit. And we ran an audit and came back and we had to spend, you know, you know, several million dollars getting that squared away. And we did it right away and we went public with it. And uh, that later became a real uh, hot topic. And some of you may have saw it on 60 Minutes. But we found something else happened. So we did this and we were feeling like, okay, that's a step in a good direction. Then we bought a company and then another company. And you know what we found? we found that the gender uh, inequality was still there. And so we got into a routine where we need to do this every single year because as we buy new companies, we want to make darn sure that that, that is, um, you know, really uh, people are being treated fairly. This is not anything other than treating our employees fairly. We are super committed to that. And, you know, and the other thing that, you know, we did in, in our quality value you may have read about, uh, we got notice in Indiana, Indianapolis, which, you know, we have a great presence on and we love being in Indianapolis, that they were going to pass a bill uh, against uh, LGBT uh, activities uh, and, uh, and, and not being fair to people. And we said, that's not okay. Uh, and we said, if you pass this bill, we will basically pay to move we're the number one tech employer in all of Indianapolis, we would move our employees. And we got into a negotiation uh, and in a dialogue, and, and, and I, we're very proud to say that that worked out uh, in the end, and, and we were able to come to a uh, successful understanding, and uh, that is super important to us, where people changed so that they didn't disadvantage all of our employees. So for us, uh, at our company, you know, the, one of the reasons we've enlisted as one of the best places to work in the world is it needs to be fair to everybody. It needs to treat everybody with respect. And, you know, we are very, very passionate about that. So in my experience, um, that's critical. And in my experience, I think that, you know, we're not done with that journey yet. You know, I don't want you guys to come across and think like we got everything sorted out. We're always trying to be better, better, never done. Uh, but we are taking very explicit things to try to make sure every single employee can see a future in our company. They can feel like they're being treated fairly, uh, that they're being included, and, and we're going to do, do our darndest to keep doing that. So that is, I think, for you're right on the statistic uh, for uh, CFO. That sounds directionally right. I don't know. I haven't seen the, the source of your data. But um, I think we should challenge ourselves, you know, all of us, to say, you know, over time, the population should reflect kind of the population, right, over time in a natural way. Uh, and that's our hope uh, for, for everyone. Awesome. So now let's yeah. talk about mentors. I'm yeah. assuming you've had uh, lots of great mentors yeah. in your career. How did you find them? You talked about your own yeah. advisory board. Yeah. 
are you deliberate about that? How did you pick them? How do you maintain those relationships? How do you yeah. make sure you're getting the most yeah. of them? Hugely uh, intentional. Uh, and I go back to, you know, kind of the you know, early lessons in life that I was learning. But I, I, I picked people that I, I just felt that it was, would be somebody that I would want a role model. Uh, somebody that I, you know, just felt like I could learn something from, especially around uh, character uh, and the way, you know, just the way they, you know, the way they operated, the way they conducted themselves. And uh, I would do all the, the work. I would approach them and just say, hey, you know, low overhead, low maintenance. Is, can I just check in with you every now and then, you know, and, and if something was burning where I needed some advice? And to park your ego to the side and just say, like, I would love to learn. And, you know, uh, the person I told you when I was driving down the M4 who, who told me someday, uh, that person is still a mentor of mine. Uh, I'd say their name, but I, I try to keep that private. Um, I've had, you know, um, a, a number of mentors for between 25, uh, over 25 years. And, uh, and they're not all work people. Uh, you know, there are people that I just admire in society that, you know, that I would go and ask a complicated question to. And I would help them too, you know, if I could, you know, uh, but they've given me all kinds of uh, interesting and good advice in life. And, and what's really interesting about having mentors over a long period of time, again, um, I learned very quickly, I'll share one thing that was awkward for me. Earlier in my career, it was quite awkward. I was making a big decision and um, I asked three of them and I got three different answers. And I was like, uh-oh. Uh, like, now I'm going to go do something different than one of my mentors actually said. And I learned very quickly on that to ask for perspective, not the answer. I wanted perspective, not the answer. And that helped me, you know, really uh, be much more engaging with them. And then I'd explain, you know, like, here's what I finally decided. Like, when I came uh, to Salesforce, I had a family meeting with my, my two sons and my wife. And then I went and talked to a number of mentors, you know, just, and this was like, it was like one of the best companies in the world, but it's like, I still wanted to understand around the edges. I wanted to look around the corners. I wanted to just try to understand, you know, so that I could just put my all into it. And it's one of the best uh, decisions I ever made. I, you know, just am so uh, grateful uh, to be a part of Salesforce. I deeply am. I mean, I, you know, it's... Uh, a ton of work, of course, but it's just a really uh, awesome company, I have to say. So thank you for letting me uh, say that. And for those of you that are customers, uh, everybody I, in the room. Can I just say thank you? That's probably the first thing I should have said is thank you to you for that. That's we, you know, that motivates us. You're our true north, and why we do a lot of things, including when we buy companies. It's feedback from our customers that are just so so critical to us. Awesome. So I'm assuming you're in the position now, obviously, where you are mentoring a lot of people, lot, right? Yeah. And so what patterns do you see in the people who yeah. rise to the top yeah. uh, in, in terms of personality or work ethic or yeah. all of these different areas? Do you see patterns that I do. You know, keep some people apart from the others? I do. Uh, and, um, and I want to come back to that for CFOs, too. I asked that question uh, from some people, and they gave me a good info on CFOs that actually do well. But, you know, I think the pattern that I see are people that, you know, like if you think about, um, you know, having the different kinds of toolkits, uh, they are committed to developing their interpersonal leadership skills. Just taking that journey, just, you know, better, better, never done. They're committed to learning their, their, uh, 
their financial acumen and, and with that, you know, never ending, you know, kind of, uh, you know, focus on that. And they have energy to, to really, you know, go, you know, go do this because uh, it's one of these things where, you know, you are, you know, depending on the size and scale of what you're dealing with, you know, you're going to be on all the time. And what I, you know, think about are people who prepare themselves with experience and, you know, um, you know, just, just preparing yourself, you're going to, you're going to have a really good journey. But, you know, when you're in that, that chair, uh, it's different because when the lights go on and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, the uh, curtain parts, you got a lot of people counting on you and you really want to prepare yourself for that. Cause then you're going to have a ton of fun. I, I think it's the best, you know, one of the best jobs in the world. I really deeply mean that. And I, I would encourage anybody to pursue that. If that's your dream, I wouldn't project my dream, but if that's a dream that you have, I can validate it's pretty awesome in, in so many different ways. Uh, awesome. And I think patterns, uh, you know, so those are some, and, and I think people that take a look at their job a lot of times, and, you know, I was with the head of the New York Stock Exchange one time, and we were talking at a panel in Davos uh, about, I, I, can, I, I host the CFO forum in Davos, has only been forever, and I've got to host all four, which I'm like pretty happy about. Uh, and I get to do the fifth this year. But I asked, um, uh, Tom Farley, the head of the New York Stock Exchange, like you see CEOs and CFOs all the time, like what's the pattern that you notice for the ones that are just like doing it really well? It was like, boom, right away. It's like one no doubt uh, observation. I said, what's that? And they go, there are people that see their job this wide. They don't do so well. There are people that see their job this wide and they thrive. I thought, hmm, that's a data point of one. But it kind of resonated with me, you know, about... You know, these jobs are as big as you want to make them over time. You know, it starts with your basics have to be buttoned down and, and then you can keep building on it. Uh, but you can also keep growing and elevating your impact over time as you grow in your experience uh, and, uh, and and just truly be a learner. But it's not like a job that, you know, you're mastered in, in a year or if you are, you're going like super places because... You know, most of the people that I know, like, this is a journey where you're going to, like, I learn every day I come to work. Every day I'm fascinated with some, some new topic, some new opportunity. And uh, uh, that's what I'd say is really take a broad view of your job and, Got it. and, and be open-minded in that way and how you can impact, how you can lead, how you can help. And when they see a CFO and they think, that, here's, here's the linchpin for you and here's a litmus test for you incorporated. They say that's a member of the executive team, not just the CFO. Then you're there. You're doing something really good because you're you're, you're taking a broader view of how you can help people and how you can serve people. Um, you know, assuming all the basics are completely, utterly buttoned down. Got it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on another current matter, and which is. I think related to the role that finance teams play in companies, which is you've all read in the news about the troubles that uh, WeWork has had, right? And so one of the questions which I thought was great was, uh, you know, in a situation like that, what role does a finance team and a CFO in particular have uh, in terms of corporate governance, in terms of making sure that, yeah. of course, it, it's hard for any of us to say what exactly happened inside, but looking at it from the outside in, uh, you know, do you think finance has a special role in, in companies to prevent situations yeah. like that? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a it's an absolutely fabulous question. And the thing I, I do want to do, like, you know, maybe it's just, you know, with experience over time, I, I am just 
I'm always hesitant to be pejorative on like one particular situation for, you know, because I don't know all the facts and circumstances on that particular situation. So if you allow me, you guys, I want to abstract away from that, but go right to the heart of the matter that as, as a CFO and as a finance executive, I think uh, there is a special duty that we have. And that duty is to bring a perspective that in some cases you're the only one that can bring. And where people um, do well, when men and women have, are fully informed and they fully understand trade-offs, and there's a full articulation, men and women make good decisions. Where things go um, suboptimal or even bad is when they don't have the full perspective. You know, I always you know, like use this metaphor, like, you know, being at the top of a corporation, you know, you have power and you have in the sense of decision making. And I always say, like, if you've ever been in an old fishing boat and there's one of those old fashioned fishing nets, big old, you know, thick rope fishing nets, and you go to move that part of the fishing net and you grab it and I say, I'm only going to move that part. You move the whole net because it's all interconnected. And the danger that I see is when people don't understand the interconnections and they make decisions in isolation. And they don't understand the knock-on ramifications that can be swift and immediate. So I feel like, as you know, as as financial executives, you know, we really, really, really need to make sure that things that have financial implications, uh, in the short term and the long term, are deeply understood, and the trade-offs and the risks and everything are there. And that's assuming compliance. Like trust is number one. So that's not negotiable for me. Period. Uh, and and just period. Period. But as it relates to business decisions about you know growth and cash flow and making sure that you're healthy profit-wise, um, I think that we play an instrumental role and need to be appropriately influential. It doesn't mean like I don't know you know where if people think anybody gets their own way on every decision. That's not the way people think about it. It's working together to be deeply informed. But yes, I feel like like every CFO should have a tone of growth, cash flow, profit. And, and, and caring about the, the long-standing financial health of the company, not just the short term. Uh, and I think the short term is important, uh, but I, I want my team to be maniacally focused on short-term execution to a long-term plan, not maniacally focused short-term execution to only a short-term plan. Do you see the difference? It's hugely, hugely different. Because in one case, we're trying to execute and be really focused on that, but we're taking a bigger picture and, and taking a longer horizon what's going to bring. Remember that short-term income, long-term market cap? It doesn't just apply to you, Inc. It applies to the value of a company. And you know, I hope you know, for all of us that we can make things better than we found them. And, and you know, if we get away from the basics, um, you know, it, it just feels like a problem waiting to happen you know, just generally uh, speaking. And so I take that responsibility super seriously and do my level best to always be aligned uh, with the executive team and the board and, and the, you know, the management team and, and all the folks to cascade that down in the best way I humanly know how to. Uh, and that's more on the business side of the decisions. Uh, and uh, I'm proud to say with our company, with trust being the number one value, you know, compliance is an absolute utter given, and uh, which I'm really proud of. So, on a related note, I think it doesn't matter what the size of the of the company is. Yeah. Finance is usually seen 
uh, by the rest of the company you know a lot of times says oh you ask me to do things that I don't want to do control process you know and, and those kinds of things right and so how do you think about the relationship uh, of the finance team with the rest of the company and how do you make sure that it is sure. perceived the right way and sure. not seen as a back office function that you know just, just right. stay in the back office right. and do your thing and how have you approached that uh, uh, in your career and, and does that challenge change uh, uh, once you get to a sure. company the scale of Salesforce? Yeah, well, and I'll give you a perspective you know I'm on you know the biggest I guess cloud app you know company uh, you know in the world for cloud applications for you know uh, Salesforce you know we pioneered you know uh, SaaS apps uh, and I'm also on the board of a pre-IPO uh, cloud company, so I see, I see that you know the, the bookends there in, in, in that way. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, we we owe it to our, our our colleagues. We owe it to our colleagues to to really communicate. You know, here's how we can help. Here's our role. We we're, you know we're one of several critical roles in the company, but here's our role, and here's the vision of how we can help, and and to make sure that that's fully articulated and. You know, like I find that most serious executives know that you want a healthy finance organization. You, you, you absolutely do. You do not want, by the way, pre-IPO, that type of thing, you do not want to be that company that's really doing well. You're getting ready to come up for an IPO and all of a sudden they find out that, you know, uh, you know your definition of X is different you know, than Y or than somebody else's or whatever. They want you to be on it. It's so critical. And so um, I, you know, I, that that's been my experience in general. So I think if somebody's pushing back on things, you know, I have empathy. People have other pressures and that type of thing, but to try to, you know, first serve and help them the best you can, but also be really clear and 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 you know articulate on what finance needs to do and and help you know um, you know help bring lift up your people, make sure that their you know their successes are being recognized and. Like I love talking about what our tax team does, or our treasury team does, or our M and A team does, or our FP and A team does, or whatever, and to uh, you know not overdo that, but appropriately recognize people. And I do an all hands meeting, and Kim's seen this. I'll stop. I'm presenting to the entire company. You know, we have fifty thousand people, and we televise it inside. And I'll stop, and I'll give kudos to my whole team, and I'll like articulate it, and then I'll go back to my presentation of uh, that is I own that. And, and they deserve that. And so, you know, that's one angle. Maybe there's a better angle. I'm, I'm just brainstorming with you right now. But um, I, you know, if, if, you know, if somebody's, you know, painting finance into a corner, uh, it's, you know, you know I, 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 would not, uh, I would not sit by idly. I would challenge that. You know, and I, and I look, you know, I think, you know, back to kind of cross-functionally, it's so important, you know, as a CFO, like I see a lot of people, they're only going to serve up, and that's not, not actually the staying power. In my experience of a, of a great CFO, a CFO needs to serve their peers, they need to serve their team, they need to serve their boss or bosses, they need to serve the board, they need to serve the shareholder. Uh, this is a multi-dimensional, and by the way, all those needs don't line up perfectly all the time, right? And, and, and just wrapping your head around that is important in trying to get grounded on what you think is the best thing to do and why and to be able to you know, share your intentions and, and why you're trying to do what you're trying to do in, in a world that's complex. But it's a ton of fun too. You know? And uh, 
I had a funny experience that prepared me really well. When I was in England, I told you, I got there and uh, as soon as I was about ready to leave, uh, my international boss in Palo Alto said, uh, don't forget, you work for me. And I thought, okay, I'm going overseas, so you know, I get that. And I got to England and the general manager, head of the business said, and don't forget, I see you every day, you work for me. <laughs> but I got better, the head of Europe, uh, his name was Bernard, I won't say his last name, he calls me from Geneva and says, Mark, you're now in my sphere of influence. <laughs> and the last person, uh, the UK country uh, leader, uh, his name was Paul, said, uh, and Mark, welcome to the UK team. And I said, oh, this is going to be interesting, you know. But that was the beginning of multi-constituencies. And by the way, if you're always doing the right thing, if you're always on point, if you're always being honest, you're always being transparent, it gets a whole lot less complex. You just like, you know, it's like, this is what it is. You know, you're, you know, like, and, and of course you get pulled in different directions, but learning how to navigate multiple constituencies and feeling very comfortable that you're on the right course, I think is important. So, so I have a couple of questions about the future as you see it, especially yeah. for finance. And then we'll go to uh, questions from the audience. But, uh, you know, how has the role of ACFO or finance professionals in general changed mm -hmm. since maybe the beginning of your career and, and what sure. kind of changes have you seen sure. uh, come about? Well, I think it's changed a lot and, and that's probably a, a real great precursor for all of us. I mean, all of our jobs have, have changed so much, but there's so many like different metaphors. I'll start with a really simple one. Uh, when I first, uh, first got into finance, you know, it was probably 1982 and we were going like crazy and everybody said, don't worry, you know, like get ready for the quarter end. It's crazy, but then it's over, you know, oh, okay. And then not that long later is like, well, the executives would really like us to get down to kind of a monthly sense of like how we're doing, you know, so the arc of speed is starting to happen here. I'm going, got it. Remember I tell you patterns. I'm like, okay, now it's a week. Now it's a day. Uh, when we were first, uh, you know, really uh, going big with Dell.com on the, uh, I was with Dell for six years going from, uh, it was roughly, I'm going to rough it out, 24, 25 and a half billion to 56 and a half billion in six years, top line sales, we were really growing. We were having these really rapid reports during the daytime because it was so critical with all the online capabilities just like skyrocketing. And I thought, whoa, this is intra hour, you know, the arc of speed was accelerating. And then I always had this vision that someday, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it not be amazing? Of course, this was pre-cell phone, and then the cell phone you know, started getting smarter to have all of our information, almost all of our information, all the time right here. Well, that's not my vision anymore because we largely have that. I have, with our um, Einstein analytics from Salesforce, I have like you know, lots of good information on my, I can see lots and lots of data, real time, real time. But that's not my dream today, and this is where finance is going, in my opinion, is now that the information's available, and this is like, I always talk about when the use cycle, the use case cycle is like, it's here. The exciting part for AI is it's taken 40 or 50 years to get AI to where it is today. But now, there's use case cycles that you can immediately understand. And my application, what my you know, you know, view of where finance is going is, how do you take and ingest all the data that you have every single day in your company, every bit of data that you have, and you start using AI for predictiveness. And that's happening. That is absolutely happening today, and it's gonna to happen so much more. 
And so I'll give you a simple example of finance. We use uh, our Einstein uh, capabilities to determine how we collect re accounts receivables. Think about that. You know, it used to be like, an, and we use AI for our salespeople to use uh, Salesforce CRM to determine who to call on in the stage of the pipe and the pipeline to close deals, which your bosses will care about a lot, right? And how that works. But think about, so that helps you close uh, deals. It helps you determine what to service first. And now I'm using it in-house to do collections, to improve our cash conversion cycle. That's where things are going. It's, it's like the arc of speed is starting to play out to the, you know, to the, to the limit, and now it's gonna be about predictiveness. And this is not the first time that finance has hit inflection points at all. Uh, it really is not. I mean, uh, and it, you, know, I, you know, I joke, you know, I you know, remember um, in my early days of HP when the, when the personal computers were starting to you know, really hit, and people would, would give those to you, and all of a sudden, you know, things like Excel hit, and it literally liberated people from massive amounts of like manual data that, that were pure finance work, but it allowed people to operate at a higher level. And the first question you have to ask on that pattern is, did jobs go away? Actually not. You know, like if you, know, if you look at like what actually, it, it, it completely transformed the kind of job that was happening. And I, you know, I think with AI, I think it's going to be super, super interesting for those that lean into the future as opposed to cling to the past. Those that are always forward-leaning tend to prosper, at least my, my assessment of patterns, and those that try to put the genie in the bottle you know, get left behind you know, as companies, as individual corporations, if you will, uh, even in a country level. You know, I think it's, it's all about the future. So I think there'll be a lot more exciting opportunities. I think this is going to be an enduring uh, disruption, but I actually think it <coughs> brings a lot more promise than, um, than I think it you know, necessarily gets uh, considered. And it'll bring a lot of change, too. But so did the personal computer. So did the tractor, by the way, just to be clear, you know. Um, anyhow, that's awesome. a little bit of no, a and, and the role also, last, the last thing I'd say is the role, that's more just conceptual with AI and things like that. But I think the role has broadened. The regulatory requirements have gone through the roof, no, no doubt. Those that track the history of that change. Um, the complexity has gone up and, um, you know, and, and the things that you're dealing with and the speed of the things that you're dealing with in the decision-making process. But one skill set I would encourage everybody to master besides emotional EQ and all the stuff that the World Economic Forum is calling out for skills for the future. You should Google it if you haven't seen it. These are like, these are like great um, attributes for people. I think to, to be realistic that people can prosper who can manage complexity. And I see people who wish it away but what I tell our businesses, it's never going to be simpler than it is today, ever. If you're a growing, budding, expanding business, but those who learn how to lean into a problem and try to master it do so much better than those that pretend it's going away. Uh, and you know, I see, I see uh, CFOs that, that do that, and still we have complex, tough jobs. And, you know, but I think it just it matters you know, the, the way you approach it. Yeah. Awesome. Mark, that was amazing. Better, better, never done. Now I'm going to hand it over to uh, the audience, and uh, I'm sure they have yeah. uh, good questions for you. So please raise yeah. your hand, yeah. and yeah. Uh, thank you so much for the great panel. 
Uh, I have two questions actually. One is, uh, what's your advice for early stage founders? Like we have a team of eight people right now just starting out, raise some money, have some revenue. When should we start focusing on uh, the CFO as a kind of managed in-house role mm -hmm. compared to like really depending on consultants and getting it by? Yeah. I do my finances ourselves. So uh, just a little bit of advice on that. Second is, yeah. when I had the opportunity to hear Mr. Benioff a couple of days ago for his book tour, and he right. talked about one 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 rule for Salesforce. Can you a little bit elaborate that and how did you really kind of you know managed it in early stage of the company sure. when uh, you really wanted to do it, but maybe uh, the resources were less? Sure, I'm, I'm glad to do that. And so um, that was a great panel the other night too. That was that was pretty awesome. I would have to say. Um, I think the. You know, an eight-person company, that's a great question. And look, again, I don't have like a secret formula for this, you guys, because you are so smart with your facts and circumstances. But, you know, I, I do know one thing is that you probably should have somebody there that is reasonably savvy. They may not be a CFO at that stage, but somebody who's going to pay attention to things like cash, right? That the cash burn is going to be super, super important. And, you know, in Silicon Valley, there's been many a good ideas that have run out of cash, right? And, and, and don't get lift off, right? And, and there's been many great companies that have a lot of great technology that don't create an environment or a culture where people want to work. And they didn't prosper. So it's, it's recognizing the multidiscipline nature over time. But in this particular case, I'd have at least somebody that is like, hey, you may be, you know, this primary role, but you got a quarter of the role and we need you to do the five most critical things financially. And I would talk to your investors uh, and see how you guys can divvy that up to make sure you have that covered. Because, you know, like flying a ship without paying attention to the gauges and the, you know, the gas tank and the uh, altitude and stuff, not good, you know. Um, so, you know, I know we know that, but I'm just kind of, you know, having a dialogue with you uh, on that. I, that. That's something that I, that I would think about for sure. Um, and then the other thing I would say to you at that stage of a company, Bessemer has a you know, great Bessemer uh, investments has a great model, uh, and and it might be worth googling or if you guys you know anybody's funded by Bessemer or whatever. But if you have a company that's really early stage, I just remember how important it is once you get ten paying customers, your risk profile has changed, right? It's it's you go from an idea to ten paying customers. And then, of course, 100 customers changes it again. And these are things that you really want to pay attention to because you're literally changing your risk profile. So if you're getting funding and you're changing your risk profile and you're not aware of it, you know, the question is, you know, at what price are you getting the funding? So these are things that you want somebody either on your board of advisors or somewhere to help you uh, as you go through some of this stuff. So I, I don't, you know, I, I'm too... Uh, respectful of you know different facts and circumstances for everybody but those are a couple things I would think about right away on the 111 model um, again the it was easier to implement it at the time of the foundation of the company 20 almost 20 and a half years ago or so because we had very few people we had very little money uh, and so you're given you know and, you know the market cap and everything everything was small today it's not We've been doing that for every, you know, we, you know, we did the original, uh, you know, 1% market cap at the origination of the company, but the 1% of people's time, I can't tell you how seriously we take this. You'd have to experience it from Salesforce. When I say everybody does it, everybody does it. I do it. 
Uh, we log our time. Uh, we get seven paid days to go pick a charity, a uh, philanthropic endeavor of your choice to go give back to. It is such a joy to do that. It is a, a game changer for me. It's one of the, it's just, I, I can't even describe, you know, uh, serving at the, you know, you know, the clothing shelter or the food shelter uh, or Glide or, uh, you know, or at the zoo or, you know, wherever it is that you're helping uh, but everybody, I led uh, two years ago the uh, JDRF uh, One Walk for all of San Francisco, and it was just a joy to learn more about this, to learn you know about how people could help and get involved. And we all got you know a lot going on. So you know to have fifty thousand people doing that now all over the world in all of our communities keeps us from being separated from our community, which is really really important to us. And um, you know I think. It's hard to argue, in my mind, you know, we, we take a stakeholder view and have since the beginning of the history of this company, long before the New York Times article came out uh, a couple months ago, and before Mark's op-ed here just a week ago, uh, we've always been a stakeholder focus because we believe if you take great carrier customer, you take great carrier employees, which were uh, listed as one of the best places to work in the world, if you take, you know, great care of your community, and great care of your partners and your shareholders, starting with your shareholders, that over the long term, you're gonna create good value. Uh, and you know, our return, I think Mark quoted, was about, uh, what was it? Well, I won't even quote the number. It was, if you look at our return over the inception of the company, it's, it's done well. But what did I tell you earlier in the, in the night? Better, better, never done. It's about forward leaning. But you know, we feel really strongly, that's how we started it though, we started it as a vision and we started executing it. And as we got bigger, we kept executing it. And now we literally have 42,000 NGOs that, that use our product for free. The most proud statistic though, I haven't shared with you, which is 9,000 companies have now adopted the 111 model. We think business is a great platform for change in our society and the societies that we work in around the world. And, and especially you know, right now, um, there, there seems to be a, a genuine need uh, and, you know, even in our own community right here, you guys. And, uh, and if you don't think people pay attention to it, um, they really do. Uh, the employees do, uh, the community does. And I had an amazing uh, experience when we went to announce the Salesforce Tower in Dublin, Ireland. And I was with the uh, Minister of Finance and the uh, uh, Taoiseach, uh, the head of, uh, the, you know, effectively the President of Ireland. And they were talking and saying, we love the fact that you're here. But what we really appreciate is how you interface with the community. And I was like, wow, I was really surprised that they were as informed. And they said, but even more what we appreciate is we read what you did in San Francisco to help support raising taxes for the homeless. Which, by the way, was not without controversy. And you can imagine some of my friends had some dialogue on that. But, you know, it's just part of trying to live out the value of doing this because we think if we have a healthy community, we have happy employees, we can serve our customers and, and, and take great care of our shareholders, which is a, a critical, critical you know, mission for every employee. Uh, and so it's just, you know, it's kind of more like what's your view on what's going to create an enduring long-term company. But that's, that's how we thought about it. Uh, and, and there's a lot of startups that have done that and, uh, you know, we find that our employees really, really care about that, and we really care about that. So um, I hope that's uh, I hope that's helpful too. Awesome.
Thanks, Mark. Um, so I'm asking this within the context of being a finance leader at an early stage company and yeah. the path towards becoming a CFO at a larger org. Yeah. Um, what have you, I guess, what m maybe skill gaps or challenges have you seen um, finance folks who find themselves at a larger org yeah. who have spent most of their career at a smaller um, early stage company, whether it's through a job transition, M&A, what have you. So could you, could you sort of share your, your observations there? Sure. Um, I, first of all, I think uh, what people bring uh, in a small uh, startup organization is awesome, number one. And you get attributes that are, that are really interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, so that's a, there, there's a lot of super good pluses to that. I think what I see when people come into managing at scale uh, it's, you know, there's a, there's a fair degree of complexity. Uh, there is, um, you know, I don't know, depending on, you know, the nature of the company, uh, if you haven't dealt with global issues, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of that, that, that people have to begin to think about, not just California or the United States, but like, you know, I have tax people to do things that worry about, you know, all over the world. I have foreign exchange people, you know, that deal with that all over the world. I have, people that are managing more cash than a lot of hedge funds. We have, you know, so the quantum is one thing. It's just the, the, the breadth of the topic. And so I wouldn't let anybody tell you to not go pursue that at all. Just the opposite. I think you can learn and grow what you, what you just want to know is like what you don't know, but also feel confident about what you bring. And I think that you know you just want to be a real learner, especially around the complexity, and go into it with beginner eyes, and, and you're going to bring ideas that could be the best idea in the company if you came from a small to a big company. It could like it really worries me if anybody you know, especially accomplished companies or people that start shutting down that good ideas come from other places. So I think when people come and prosper, they bring their experience and they let that flow. But they also come with beginner eyes to really look around and be a student of what's happening and, and really try to tune into it and then start to put your plan together. And I, I recommend when people do that to get a, a buddy mentor that will help you navigate the complexity. You know, it, like, you know, I, a really good uh, peer friend explained to me how he went from managing five people in a building to 50 people to multi-site to 5,000 people. And it was just an amazing journey for this person. And they had to figure out how to emotionally connect with people that they never physically meet. How do you do that? You have to sharpen your communication skills and your ability to communicate and articulate. Um, how do you, you know, manage global versus you know, all in a room when everybody can huddle up and move quickly? You have to change a little bit of your leadership system and your style. Those aren't things that are hard to do. It's just you have to have the commitment a beginner mind to say, I'm going to go adapt and adjust and, and learn. And I, I really like your question because it reminds me the first time somebody comes onto a board and I just watch them. And I can tell, back to patterns, people who I think are going to be a really good board member because the first thing they do is they listen and they look around. You know, they really try to size up, this is really different. Like, I haven't been here before. I'm going to try to figure this thing out. I'm going to be a student. I'm going to get a, a peer, you know, I'm going to put my ego to side, get a peer mentor to help me, onboard me, and then I'm going to learn, have a blast. I'm going to go have an impact and go, uh, as opposed to somebody that comes in with all the answers and, 
yet there's a lot of different things they haven't seen. And I'm, I'm sure that makes common sense to you, uh, but um, I never, you know, when I see a really talented person that has, you know, incredibly good, talented, raw skills, I think about, like, what's the path to develop that person? Uh, and, and, I, and I try to be realistic, you know, I want them to be successful, so you don't want to put them in a position that they can't succeed in. I just try to understand where they're at, how they get a toehold, and they go in. And by the way, um, you know, something that, again, back to my own journey, just, I'm just sharing my, like, learnings. Uh, I had a choice uh, when I was going in uh, and being recruited one time in my career to a company, and they said, you could go into one higher level. But we actually recommend you go in one level below that. And people know that you're a hypo. But then guess what? You get to look around, you get to get your land legs, you get to go, you get to figure it out, and then you, you hit the gas. Talk, talk to my mentors, massively helpful to me. Because what I saw were people that went in a level higher, one mistake, one thing, they weren't tuned in, they weren't ready, boom. Like mine's been about preparing for the long play as opposed to, you know, like over rushing things. I mean, but I, you know, it's a journey of one, so take it for, for what it's worth. Hope that helps you. Awesome. So, uh, Mark has been oh, thank incredibly, you. Thank you, very much. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, generous with this time. We're going to do one or maybe two more questions really quickly. We've got five more minutes. All right. We'll do one, we'll do one more question. Yeah. I think yeah. uh, there's a question yeah. right here. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mark. Hey, Rick. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, my name is Rick. I appreciate your, I'm a veteran. Appreciate yeah. your, uh, talk on values and integrity yeah. and how that matters to you. I'm also a consulting CFO for uh, companies that are quite a bit smaller than yours. It's so, awesome. Um, on, it's the, awesome. on the integrity and values issue, um, you know, a lot of times uh, CFO is uh, yeah. the chief no officer. Yeah. Right? You have to tell yeah. everyone no on the yeah. budget, no on this. Yeah. Um, and that's usually pretty easy, yeah. but it gets harder when you have to say to the board or the CEO. Mm -hmm. CEO. Um, so I wonder yeah. if maybe you could just give some Thoughts, yeah. you know, yeah. sort of on that values integrity side, uh, but not just sort of, yeah. you know, have integrity. Yeah. Uh, but how do you say no when you're first? Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with the CEO today. Yeah. You know, it gets pretty. It can get pretty energizing. I'm not yeah. Not so sure that's the right answer. Yeah. Energizes yeah. a nice word. I'll yeah. use that. Yeah. Very so how, how, how do you yeah. do that without just sort of, you know, sort of some, yeah. oh, you know, just throw some values in there and, and keep your yeah. No, what I. Are I some, what are I, some practical, tactical? I, I, I would I'd be glad to share and let's just kind of unpack that and make sure Rick that I, I get to that but the first thing I want to say you know on behalf of everybody is thank you for your service uh, to our country so let's give it up right there. Um, I am uh, Sunday gonna run I'm flying to Washington DC to, to run the uh, uh, Washington DC Marine Corps Marathon uh, and I'm dedicating that to our, our service people I think it's just I'm really looking forward to that so um, as far as uh, you're hitting something that is super important, and anybody that tells you that this is super easy, uh, I'd like to learn from them. <laughs> but I have something that I deeply, deeply believe, which is you have to learn two things. You have to be able to speak truth to power comfortably but you also have to learn how to do it gracefully. I've seen people be hugely graceful, but not speak truth to power. Not good at critical times. Doesn't work. I've seen people speak truth to power and not be graceful 
and that's not good, right? That doesn't work, um, in my opinion. One opinion of one, this is open for, for dialogue for folks. So I really, my best advice is to look for the, the time and the place to, and, 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 and set the table for you know, wanting to talk about something that you think is really important but also, you know, you know, you know, hearing what's being said as well. And again, I put on the table, if it's trust compliance, that's your call. I mean, that's just your call, period. I mean, that's just the way it goes in my mind. And, you know, I, you know, I've always felt that my integrity is more important than my job, always. And, um, you know, I just have, you know, always believed that. I told you know, my father, you know, and had a kind of a crazy story. My first super big break, uh, I got to um, take on uh, the divisional, effectively divisional uh, CFO role uh, for one of the biggest divisions in HP. And my uh, and I, it was a huge break for me. I was 30 years old, huge break. And Bob Wayman, who was HP's CFO for years, legendary, did that job prior. So I mean, this was a big deal. And so this guy named Bill uh, was giving me the job, and you know, I like this, this is a two-level promotion for me. And he um, said we went through all this, and I was super excited, like just even to be in the running. And then he started talking to me about getting the job, and then I started thinking about this, like, wait a minute, I'm young, and I want to make sure that he knows that I'm going to like this is not just young, like I'll get somebody that's you know less experienced and and maybe you know they'll have more latitude or whatever. I say, hey, Bill, I, the one thing I want to say before I accept this job is that it's just really important for you to know that my uh, integrity is more important than my job. And there was this long pause. And he, he smiled. He goes, got the right guy. But I told my dad that. And I said, Dad, you know, and I told him. My dad said, you told him what? You know? <laughs> In a joking way. But, but I, I, I bring that uh, level of humor but also seriousness around. I totally feel what you're saying. But I really, really learned early that you know if you are a CFO and you go upstage the CEO, right? Who is the CEO? For good reason. They're super talented, super smart. All the reasons you know that that one can look. Uh, and 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 then I talk myself in that I've got the good ideas market cornered on a business topic. You know, compliance is a different issue. You know, we know how that's going to go in a good way. Um, then I feel like I'm missing something here. And I feel like if there's a business disagreement, then I would look to say in a private setting and say, look, I totally see your vision. I totally see your goals. And I am not the CEO. And, you know, obviously, you know, we could agree to disagree or whatever, but I would appreciate, you know, you just hearing me on this one. And I would appreciate, you know, being able to share my point of view on that, even if, if it's a different point of view. And I, um, you know, I, I try to set it up in a way that is realistic, you know, and also uh, not confrontational, but, but real about like, and I've never had somebody say, well, no, I don't want to hear your point of view. Like, I, I just, like, I don't see that happening a lot. I'm not saying it never does for anybody. But I think being authentic and, and trying to frame something and definitely not trying to upstage, you know, or you know, not not consider the ramification of saying something in front of the board or anybody else 
that you know that you need to say first you know to your to your leader um, unless it's a matter of some other kind of criticality that you know that I don't understand but I, I just think um, getting comfortable with truth to power being graceful with it framing it and, and almost creating you know the dialogue of you know I'd, I'd love to engage with you on this in a way and I just would appreciate being heard and then also getting comfortable with agreeing to disagree you know if if the business leader says, I totally took this, took this on board, Rick. I hear you. I have a different point of view on this. Um, we're going to turn to the right. And we, then we get on board and go, unless, it's, unless there's some other complicated thing that's involved that I don't understand. But I don't know how, you know, you know what all helps you or, or what, what doesn't, but I have really, really appreciated greatly uh, my bosses letting me, you know, speak to them and have those courageous conversations, not in a way with bravado, not in a way with ego, not in a way with righteousness, not in a way with anything other than, I just want to serve the company. And that's all, I, that's all I'm trying to do. I just want to do a good job and, and make sure that that part of the ship that I'm responsible for, if you're the captain, that you really know what the waters look like, where the rocks are, what the opportunity is, um, and, and, and that type of thing. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and as far as saying no, um, I think one area that I find super helpful with peers and team and broader teams is trying to say context of what's on my mind and how I'm, how I'm thinking about it, uh, and, and giving, you know, as much context as I possibly can. But, you know, that's, that's what I try to do. I'm not going to say I get it right every time, um, but I hope, I hope that's useful to you. And I really, I really do feel that, um, it's actually very liberating to be able to have a discussion, even if it's a sensitive discussion with people, if it's done the right way, I, I think it is, it is, um, I don't know how to say it. I think it's liberating because you feel like you've spoken the piece that you need to speak and say what you need to say. Uh, but you don't operate in a way that pretends that all decisions go your way because that's just not like. By the way, that doesn't happen. I mean, maybe it happens for somebody. I I don't all my friends. You know that. You know I, I don't see that happening. But does that give you a sense? Maybe a couple yeah, ideas. Yeah, I think the, 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 the key piece is the and. So yeah, it's the, truth, and. the power and the grace. Yeah. And also recognizing that if if you don't have the and. Yeah. Then you need to change the venue or the time or something like that to. Uh, yeah. De-escalate or to, yeah. Uh, that I think it's really important in context and also making sure that people know that your interests are their interest, that you're trying to align to the greater good and that this is just, you know, like, you know, like, you know, I'm going to either learn something, which I often do. Like, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I, back to being grateful, I get to work with just absolutely incredible people. And, uh, I like to share as much as I like to learn, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a dialogue. I've, I mean, let's just be clear. There's things where I thought, well, gosh, you know, like, I think this would be a better way only to come out and find out something else would be a better way sometime, you know? And, and I think, um, it's back to, you know, to, you know, I think as a leadership team, you want to work together to find your way and navigate together. I heard somebody say a great phrase, navigating the gray areas together, not, you know, of business decisions. You know, because again, trust is is very clear. But business decisions, you know, do we expand? Do we not expand? Do we hit the pedal? Do we not hit the pedal? Um, there's a lot of judgment there, 
and how to get comfortable about having those dialogues is, is really important. Hope it Amazing. helps. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming out uh, tonight. Yeah. And, and Mark, I hope all of you took away some uh, you know, nuggets on your path to becoming yeah. a CFO. And um, uh, Mark, thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, I just want to say one thing. Uh, yeah, just, I, I really you know, also hope you know, where there's like, if there's one nugget you could take away that helps you, I'd be super stoked. Um, feel free to LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to ask him if you want to know more about Salesforce. Uh, but, you know, like, don't let anybody discourage you from your dream. If that's, you know, it, it's a kick-butt job. And, uh, and um, you know, I feel lucky in that way. And uh, everybody's still learning. The other thing I would say, again, back to uh, just wrapping it up, is uh, one of my mentors got after me. He's like, I was a CFO for a couple of years. And he goes, like, why are you not at, you know, these CFO dinners that they have periodically. I'm going, because I'm too busy, you know, like I'm working, you know. He goes, stop. What you really need to do is learn vicariously and rapidly advance your understanding. Well, thank God he told me that because I got in touch with this group, you know, you know, probably, I don't know, a year before the great financial crisis. And what a great group of people to be able to call and rely on other people. You know, so you can't, you can't spend, remember my, you know, CEO, you're like you're, you're the CEO of your company. You can't over network because you, you know, you got to get work done. You got to ship a lot. But boy, make sure you're strategic and get some of it at the CFO level. It'll really help you uh, fast forward here. So awesome. on that note, thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, real pleasure.